You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. It's funny, uh, Rich and I did a talk at another conference, and uh, they told us, someone told us, the host told us we had two hours, but we really only had one. So we were like an hour into it, an hour and ten minutes into it when we realized we were totally running late. So yeah. we had three hours, right? No, it's yeah. now. Uh, so how many of you guys are Disney fans? Guys, yeah. How many of you guys really don't care about culture? You just came because it said Disney in the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It totally, uh, so my name is Peter McGowan, uh, and uh, this is Rich Hurry. Rich Hurry. Uh, Rich is probably the more important one. He spent the last 14 yeah. years with uh, Pixar. Yes. And we'll actually run through uh, some of his uh, experience and stuff like that. Uh, the firm we work with is called Plain Joe Studios. And at the end of the day, our whole thing is, and I'm really bad at this stuff too. Um, at the end of the day, our, our design group has worked with a lot of different organizations uh, over the last 17 years. On the, on the board is uh, quite a few of them that we've worked with. We have a huge heart for ministry. Um, ARC is a uh, longtime friend of ours how many of you guys is this your first art conference oh, oh wow, wow that's really good wow. nice yeah how many of you guys have been a part of arc for five years or more i'm just curious yeah uh we've been a part of arc for uh, about 10 years now we were part of uh, kind of bringing online the very first kind of paid conference before it was literally just this kind of family gathering out of all the conferences that we kind of uh work with and all the different church groups and stuff like that arc by far is like you know one of my favorite ones just because of the relationships and they really take the idea of association-related churches, the idea of the relational equity within people and investing into people. It's like no other. And just even as a kind of a parachurch organization, we just love what ARC's about. Um, but um, our organization kind of uh, exists in this kind of funny world. Um, the, the only other company that we really kind of look our, t- to model ourselves after is going to be Disney Imagineering. A lot of people want to try and put us into a box and say, oh, you guys do brands, you guys do websites, you guys are architects or buildings. And really it's something broader than that because those are just... Just kind of individual segments, kind of along uh, an assembly line process that Walt Disney really looked at um, as storytelling. So at the end of the day, we really consider ourselves storytellers. And we use design to communicate story in three dimensions or three uh, kind of specific ways. The first one we say is design that walks away with people um, or brand communications. And for us, a brand is not so much about logos, fonts, and colors as it is an emotional response. How do you feel when someone says Disney, Nike, Apple, Starbucks, or something like that? Um, you know, <laughs> But the emotional response, you know, how do people feel when you say you're a Christian? And that was one of our biggest convictions is like, um, yeah, I remember when we started our studio, it was like we were like 17, 18 years ago. It was like we were at a restaurant and uh, the co-founder, Mike Foster, was sitting there. Yeah, we, we told the server that we're Christians. You know, the first thought in her head, unless she was a believer, was going to be like, great, cheap tip, homophobic, judgmental, hypocritical, all these things that have nothing to do with who Jesus is. And one of the, the, the issues that we have is when we look at story um, and, and how story connects, you know, it, it really is not just a marketing buzzword for us. We honestly believe story is core to the human condition. God has knit together as storytellers. When we look at, you know, Jesus's ministry, right, the greatest storyteller of all time, when he healed somebody, he didn't say, now go to church every Sunday, right? Now, now go and you know, join a small group. He, he said, go and, and tell your story. Or even better, go and show your story, right? And I, I think you know, it's, it's very interesting because Jesus was an educated man. Yeah, he knew how to read. And it says that you know, he read at the temple. He studied at the temple. And he knew how to write. But the only thing he ever wrote down, recorded in the Bible, was him writing in sand. 
something that could be easily wiped away. I mean, he could have written it down. He could have wrote a textbook, right? He could have took these 12 guys, put them into a classroom for three years, gave them a certificate at the end, and then they wouldn't have betrayed him, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I, I think he knew something else. He was a teacher along the way. He, he actually knew how to connect with people in indelible ways that would actually emotionally connect with them and make them, um, you know, what they were, uh, the true disciples. And when we look at storytelling, uh, it really is this intersection of what we say is characters, plots, and settings. And uh, when we talk about culture, you know, it really, you know, storytelling is not a marketing buzzword for us. I mean, when we talk about story being core to the human condition, all this stuff, it really goes back to what shapes humanity. What is culture? If we were to say today, like, what shapes culture, a lot of people say Hollywood, art, entertainment, Disney, right? Politics, science, sports, you know, all these things. The reality, it's the stories that come out of there that you connect with. So you're, whatever the favorite team is, when you find out that that athlete had some downtrodden childhood, you know, that endears you to them, that connects you to them, right? And, and at the end of the day, it is about these formulas of characters, plots, and settings that kind of come out and stuff. And what we have found in, in our journeys, and when we look at modern branding, it's more than just, you know, a logo, really. Uh, this is actually Lippincott who does the branding for um, uh, Starbucks. They actually kind of uh, holistically bring it together, these kind of eight dimensions. That brands are visual. You know, that's the, the logos, fonts, and colors. Uh, brands are verbal. Like, what's the voice of the brand actually kind of sound like? What's the behavior of the brand? Like, uh, what are the... What are the traditions? And really, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about really kind of key today. How do your employees interact with uh, other people and carry that? That this whole like Chick-fil-A, you know, it, it's my pleasure. Um, it's environmental. You know, uh, when we talk about environments and spaces, putting colors on the walls, uh, these colors on these walls might not mean anything to you guys, but it actually ties back to Eastside's brand and their culture that they were trying to be intentional about developing. Um, Eastside's one of our clients that we did their branding and the environments and everything all around here. Um, and there was a, a very intentional approach, even to how we did the hallways, making the hallways almost as wide as streets. And the idea that we wanted uh, not these tight, narrow corridors, but really to open things up. Um, you know, brands are physical. Like, what, what, what shape does it take when you do manifest uh, into items, a gift that you give someone or something like that? Uh, they're digital. That's obvious in this age. Like, everyone's always... Who's got the Starbucks app with all the stars and chases the stars and stuff? Yes. Because that has cost me so much money. <laughs> My wife's like, I got 15 more stars. I'm like... How much did those stars cost us, honey? They know what they're doing. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Yeah. No, really, when we talk about the interactivity of brand, right now, Starbucks knows his wife's shopping habits better than Rich does. No. Uh, but that, that's the reality. I, I, that's but, yeah, that, that's the thing is, uh, we, uh, so does Facebook, so does Google, so do all these things. But uh, that, that's one of the areas we, I was just talking with the pastor right now. It's like the church is so far behind on the, the digital side of things. Uh, uh, you know, uh, brands are conversational. And, uh, you know, how do you have a dialogue with things, even using social media? And then the last one is, uh, you know, the idea that the brand is sensual. And, and that, that is probably the, the most endearing one. That's the feel of the brand. When we talk about developing culture, um, we're talking about developing your staff. Yeah, what is it the feel of it that they're conveying when they connect to volunteers and then even out to that uh, that uh, final one? So 
I'm kind of uh, going to kind of burn through some things. The, the idea is, though, uh, we just want to give you guys an overview talk today. When we look at the problem that we're having today with the church and the brand, a lot of it is that we believe the church has gotten disconnected from the process of storytelling, where the church for almost 2,000 years led in storytelling, culminating with the uh, Renaissance, the greatest period of art uh, that the you know his, history of mankind has ever known. Um, it really kind of typified there, and then the church kind of got into an autopilot mode, and it, the Industrial Revolution happened, and it, it all of a sudden decided that the best way to educate someone was one day a week and have a pastor, the best storyteller, tell it to them. The reality is story is told so much beyond that. So some of the things that we usually take people through is this idea of gaining perspective of kind of like where you're at now. How do you plan things out? Uh, One of my favorite quotes is Dwight D. Eisenhower, that planning is invaluable, plans are useless. Uh, But it's that, that exercise uh, to kind of let you know where you're headed. Uh, that's what planning is about. And then the execution. And when you execute things, understanding what's important right in front of you. And all the planning leads up to that. And uh, Scott Milligan with the Disney Institute has this great quote. says, if cultures, uh, cultures by design are basically cultures by default. And our problem is that we find a lot of times, especially within church culture, it happens by default. Because we're just kind of, we're on this hamster wheel. Yeah, or the, some people say uh, it's the flywheel that makes money, right? It, it's we do a church service, people come and they give money. And then that's, you know, butts in the seats. That's what we count. But the reality is, how do we actually connect with people for this, you know, sensual experience? Um, and then I can kind of go into some other storytelling stuff. But the, our, our biggest disconnect is, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this picture of this big bridge. It's in South America. And basically, the river one night uh, decided to take a turn. And it basically washed itself and rerouted itself around the bridge. And that's our biggest problem is we found that the church has built these bridges and the river has gone around us. And, and we're not connecting anymore. And, uh, and some of the hopes for us today is we're going to leave you kind of with three kind of just thoughts, three uh, kind of uh, lessons that we've learned and uh, kind of go from there uh, on yep. things. So. Um, and actually, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the first one. And actually, it's going to be kind of an interview style. Um, but the first lesson is em- embrace failure. So this is my buddy, Rich. And uh, Rich, can I brag on you for a little bit? Or yeah. well, it, It's however you want to do it, man. Here, I'm I actually going to bring up your demo reel because that's actually like oh, even okay. funner right here. Well, if I know how to use a computer, so we'll see. I got hired at Pixar in 2006. Um, and that, that interview process was... It was a, a 12-hour interview. Are you going to show that? or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, uh, uh, you can just keep talking. They'll, they're not going to pay attention to me. They're going to watch the pretty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to this listen to him. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. There, all right. We'll get to this, this in a second. Um, and I, w- I went through a 12-hour interview, and I met with 10 different people, and I met with them in separate groups, and if any one of them would have said no, I wouldn't have gotten hired. So, so part of that, and it leads to this idea of failure, is that part of that is making sure you bring the right people in your organization. At that point, they already knew that I had the skill to do the work, but they didn't know was I going to fit into the company, right? So they were very picky about who they brought in, right? That was, that was a big part of the process, and that was everybody, right? So fast forward, I don't know what year it is, but um, we started working on Brave. And I got cast, that's what they called it, um, to work on Merida. So I was building this character. I was not ready for that job yet. I, if we're being all completely honest, like I was not ready. Positive, Merida. I just stop. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of my friends. Um, no, no, it's all good. And, and I literally got, I got taken off that project. They basically, I was not, I, I didn't know how to speak animator yet. I didn't know how to deliver the work in a way that the different departments needed to see. 
I didn't have the experience that I needed to be able to develop these characters at that level, especially a hero, the, like the main character, right? So I got I got pulled off, and that was that was a very very hard thing. I mean, nothing says you've lost your dream job like I'm I'm basically yanking the rug out and pulling you off a job. But in that conversation, they basically said we failed you. They said to me, they're like, we put you in a position that you weren't ready for, and we we did not set you up for success. So we're taking a step back, and then they what they did is they poured into me and they gave me the training that I needed so I could learn. And get the experience that I did need. And by the end of the movie, I did the MacGuffins, the young young MacGuffin and part of the old MacGuffins. Like I got to another hero character in the movie, and it was because at that point they they walked me through. Part of that was they were they, they're picky about who they bring on, so that you know if somebody is failing, it's not because of them. Chances are there's something about the organization, or there's something about what's happened, yeah. right? And so they they didn't they did not have any lack of faith in me. They then empowered me and gave me the education that I needed so that I could step up to the plate and do the job that I was brought in to do. So that was the big thing. But we can, we can watch this now if you want to see. <laughs> um, there's, I don't even know if this will work. There's music, but it's just cheesy game music. Ready? Do you guys want cheesy game music? All right, cheesy game music for you guys. Um, so just we'll totally dovetail. Whenever I do a demo reel like this, to me it's really important to point out the stuff I actually did. Because whenever you look at a feature film or anything, I mean, this could be a church service, right? There's hundreds of people that work on making that moment happen. So there are lighting artists and effects artists and shading artists and animators and rendering TDs and pipeline TDs and everything else. But I just added Mo's light, right? So, so it's like just to talk about that scene and my part in it. It's I think it's really important to to take credit for the stuff that you actually did and be okay with it being a team effort. Yeah, this is where everybody says Rich did Meredith's hair. No, I built posing controls for Meredith's hair. It's like, the experience of having long hair versus actually dressing with long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's work. So, and here's the these are the characters that I did after after getting pulled off Meredith. So, I mean, the big takeaway there is, you know, it's really important to, to be choosy about who you bring in and then do everything you can to support them. And it's okay to make a mistake and fail. It's, it's actually, you should encourage it. You should push people to where, you know, something goes wrong, you learn from it, not like it's the end of the world. This thing's long. Do you want to pause it? Yeah. <laughs> we can go back to it. If, if I start bombing, then we can switch to other stuff. <laughs> yeah, if you guys start throwing stuff, we'll be like, okay. Yeah. So, the, the second uh, lesson that we learned from Disney, uh, and really, you know, we're in the church world, and we talk about sin and missing the mark. Uh, it's, it's, it's just funny that in the church world, We've seen uh, the fear of failure being one of them, and the idea that there's stewardship, that if you fail, you must not be stewarding it correctly. If anything, it's the opposite. When we look at the parable of the talents, the guy that took it safe, that buried his talents, and didn't take the risk to increase the talents, either you know, tenfold, whatever, the, the guy that played it safe, it was better that he had never been born. And you know, 
that's pretty harsh criticism. But really, I believe God wants us to take risks, wants us to have that, that win. Um, the second lesson is embracing conflict. And that's something we've seen in churches, especially on the creative side when we're working, um, when people don't want to let someone down or they aren't pulling their weight. We're, we don't know how in a healthy way to actually approach them. So I don't know if you want to talk about when, yeah, actually even how you got pulled in. <laughs> We're talking about when uh, I got scolded for working too hard. Yeah, that's because he's done that to me too. Um, so when was, the wife calls, it's not. Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, the, I say the first first two months that I was there, I was working on the recon ship, the big spaceship you saw up there, and I um, I wasn't going to make my deadline, and so I was like, "All right, babe, I'm staying. I'm going to work because that was my <laughs> that was my operation. You know, I would just work more hours." So I basically slept at the office, um, and there's a gym and there's a shower, so I literally would go shower, and I basically didn't leave for like four days. And uh, and then about, I think about another, like three or four days later, uh, the associate producer for Wally comes in and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? And uh, basically the art department guys saw me, and they're like, oh, wow, you guys would really be working hard out there. I saw Rich there, you know, at, at one o'clock in the morning or whatever. Um, and basically he scolded me, he said, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is not how we do things here. It's not about the money. We'll give you your overtime. He goes, but you have a family at home, and that's more important than this. If, if you're not going to make your deadline, it's because we didn't give you enough time to do it. So it was like that same idea of, of that's not how we do things here. So I got basically scolded for working too hard. And this fine gentleman has done the same thing for me as when we started Kite String together, which is we'll talk about maybe at the end a little bit, but... Um, that's my instinct, right? Is to just work hard. And sometimes I lose sight of, of, uh, the real important stuff, wife, kids, family, having a balance, um, just because I like to get stuff done. So for me, that's something I've got to work on, but having people that are willing to say, don't do that. And it it goes the other way too, right? Being able to feel comfortable reaching up to somebody above you and saying, Hey, something's not going right. They need to feel like, and I, I could do that too. I mean, many of my leads and supervisors, when something wasn't going right, after I kind of learned that lesson, I was able to then go, hey, I need more time. And it's not because I'm a failure or not because I wasn't doing enough work. It's because there's more work to be done. I just needed more time. So that being, having, and that only comes from trust. You can use this same thing with conflict and you can put in the word um, criticism, Right. When you are in a place where you know that everybody's got your back and everybody's working toward the same goal, when you get a piece of criticism, you know that it's not about you, it's about the work, so you can make the work better, right? So if you're in a place where you feel like you're in competition with somebody or something's wrong or you're personally being attacked, criticism gets really hard to take. I remember a good buddy of mine, John Eric, and I started a business uh, 20 years ago, longer, oh my gosh. And uh, I was just getting started. I did not know what I was doing. And uh, we had this project where we were making um, these jets, F-18s landing on this, this aircraft carrier, made to do this water scene. In CG. In CG, right? All, all computer graphic. And I made this water. <laughs> it was awful. It looked like cement, right? It's so bad. But I'm like, hey, look, water. And he's like, that's not water, man. I'm like, no, no, it's water. And I, I fought so hard because of how hard I worked. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but part of that was to, to realize that I needed to take that feedback to go, it's not about me. It's not about my hard work or not. It's the product needs to be better. So once we had that trust relationship, that got a lot, that got a lot easier. Um, and at Pixar was all like that. You never, I never felt like any criticism I got was about me. 
It was about making the work better. So everybody had a voice into making it better. So that takes an organization that structures it to know, I got your back. I trust you. We are all in this together. And if we all tear our work down and bring it back up every single day, we end up making the product better, which makes the mission better at the end. Mm-hmm. So that a, was a big part of that. So conflict criticism. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of uh, unrelated, really, to, to Disney on, on some regards. But how many of you guys have heard of, I know it's been going, it's waves through the Christian circles, but the Enneagram? Mm-hmm. Are you guys familiar with that? How many of you, how many of you guys know what your number is? I'm just curious. So I'll, I'll get a little soapbox about the Enneagram. I'm actually a huge fan of it. Um, I've actually been involved with it for almost a decade now. And uh, literally, like, I've been married 22 years for the first 10 years, I thought I had a great marriage because we never fought. And um, come to find out my wife was in a deep depression for 10 years. And it was really hard for me as an Enneagram 8 to have that realization. And for me, yeah, conflict, I eat conflict for lunch. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can have, we can battle it out and then walk out the door and we're totally fine. My wife was a 9, a peacemaker, and she didn't know how to handle the conflict. And, and, and it is really important. I think one of the key things uh, on the Enneagram, if I could uh, share a couple things, one of the number one lessons I think Susan Stabile says in The Journey Between Us is never weaponize the Enneagram. It's never your role to tell someone like, oh, you're an eight. So, you know, there it goes. Uh, like, eights can call each other eight holes. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why, why are you guys? Because it's Only funny. eights can. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only eights can say that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and really, it, it's uh, using uh, some of but, but the reality is that I've, I can take criticism, like, really hard. But other people can't. And I think one of the things is about the Enneagram is understanding its self-assessment. Tests do whatever. It really is about getting behind your own personal motives. And where do you go in stress and where do you go in strength? And I, I think when we look at Jesus, he's represented actually in a healthy way in all nine. That's the fruits of the spirit in a lot of ways. And when we look at actually character development, even in stories, the continuity of characters is, is, can be found within the Enneagram, where someone goes in health and where they go in strength. But if my encouragement to you guys, if, if you guys are finding conflict is really hard in your organization, the Enneagram is a great tool for that. First, to have self-assessment, to figure out are you reacting uh, like if you're three and you're you're acting out of a perfectionist nature and you just want it right because you want to achieve and you're walking all over everybody that's your own problem right but if you're actually reacting because it truly is bad for the whole and you're able to approach it from a healthy way you know healthy conflict uh i should probably put healthy in there you know and a a good a good great resource what introduced me to the enneagram about 10 years ago was uh, emotionally healthy spirituality uh, or emotionally healthy discipleship pete scazzaro the Emotionally Healthy Church, have any of you guys heard of that? It's a great book, Pete Scazzaro out of New York, a uh, fantastic ministry. But that's probably one, when we look at creative environments, and even within the Disney culture, there are health, emotionally healthy people that can do things like that. Now, I would say at Pixar specifically, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of emotional health there, and a high emotional uh, EQ and IQ to be able to have those uh, discussions. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well it's not always easy to take criticism, right? That's, that's a hard thing for people. And, and it's a personal journey every day when somebody wants to give you feedback to make something you're doing better. You really have to go, okay, wait a minute. And even if somebody you know doesn't like you could have truth in that. So some of it's going, all right, I'm going to listen to what's being said. I can, I can take away the negativity of the human that's taught telling me it. But is, is there any truth in it? If there's truth, take that gift and make your stuff better. Yeah, Rise above good. it by just constantly refining it. 
nobody's perfect. Nobody does perfect work. No artist makes a perfect drawing. It's it, there's always something you can make better. Yeah. So just, except Jesus, and even he apparently had critics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't know? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, actually, in the church world though, that's one of the other lessons that we would say is that the, the idea of healthy conflict and how you manage it, especially when you have volunteers. Yeah, that's so hard, especially when they, they put their heart and soul into something. How do you do that in a healthy way? So uh, I would definitely encourage you guys to look into that. All right. And just so you guys know, if we seem like we're moving past, uh, the, our plan was to actually uh, kind of go through this talking part at you guys a little bit uh, and then end early and do a Q&A session. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, because yeah, people usually... What if they said no? What would we do? We, free break. Free time. That's like the gift of that. Like, I love free time. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, ever since I was a kid. Then lesson three is embrace embrace story. And and really, one of my favorite examples of this, and actually when we talk about even Pixar and stuff, how many of you guys have, uh, in, in, in the idea of storytelling, have you guys ever heard of the theory of sus- the suspension of disbelief? Um, was it, how many of you guys, have, some people are like nodding at me. Have you guys ever heard me speak before? Is everyone new to me? Oh, oh great. Okay. Oh, some of you have. Okay. I'm like, sorry. You're hearing repeat information. But there's a theory in entertainment uh, that's uh, pretty prevalent called the theory of the suspension of disbelief. And the idea, if you Google search that, what it'll come up, it'll say people will suspend disbelief in order to get enraptured into a story for entertainment value. But the reality is, and, and the clear example of that is, everyone knows there's no such thing as sound in outer space. Spaceships don't fly like airplanes. But man, it's way cooler when an X-Swing fighter in the Millennium Falcon <laughs> strafe into the you know, Death Star and blow it up and you hear a boom. That's like exciting. Uh, but you suspend disbelief because it's really fun. No one sits there and goes, oh, there's no sound in outer space. It's like that doesn't happen. Right. When we look at Jesus being the greatest storyteller of all time, I think one of the key reasons is this idea, the theory of the suspension of disbelief. His ability to connect with people in story, get them to suspend disbelief, and actually make a decision of faith is really what the foundation of uh, our story is about. And when we look at a Sunday morning experience, when you're you know, telling a story and you're conveying something to the congregation, to get them to suspend disbelief, make a decision of faith, and come forward is really what everything is about. So when we pursue excellence... It's not for excellence's sake. It's not because our God is worthy. Because when you look at the things like how do you square the circle with the widow's might, I mean, God is happy with your heart as is. But the reason why we strive for excellence is this idea that we want the story to not be impeded. We want everything to be fought up towards that. And what we have found over time is a lot of times people just want to take that shortcut. They don't think about the story or the magic of the story of how you can welcome people in. But when you say that you're welcoming, you know, like what's the environment really about? Is it, does it feel welcoming? That does it help convey what your brand, your story is, whatever? It's like but, saying you're funny, then tell a joke. <laughs> then be funny. You know, don't tell me you're funny. Yeah. Be funny. Yeah. So that's, that's like to, to my high schoolers. I'm, I'm relevant. I'm cool. And they're like, yeah. no. Yeah. Sorry. Then you have to be that. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's sad. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I, I've never said that to my my kids. But well, I've, I, yeah, anyways, that's a whole funny other yeah. story. That. Uh, but but the, the third lesson is uh, really when you're developing culture, really you're passing on your values. And when we look at where the church is today, I mentioned that whole uh, industrial revolution. It really has impacted our society in pretty adverse ways because you know 200 years ago, your kids would have worked alongside you, whatever your profession was, whether you were in the fields or you were a blacksmith or something like that. They would have learned your values through story, through hey, how do you do that? They would learn how to manage finances. They would learn all these lessons of life. And when we look at traditions specifically within the Jewish family ecosystem or or the uh, or like uh, Mormons, their retention rate for their kids and their their grandkids is really high. Um, within the church, the, the Judeo-Christian Western 
cultures, we're losing those next generations because we go to work and we expect the schools are going to teach them our, the, our values. We're going to teach them our stories. Or they go to church, we expect them to do it. But really, even within your own lives, around your d- dinner table, I mean, that's like, if I can encourage you guys, tell stories. Encourage your kids to tell stories. Connect with those things. But that's probably one of the best things uh, within Disney is the idea of, uh, you know, protecting the story. I I mean, examples of that were, you know, we would watch these screenings. So every movie that gets done, they first put up on these animated storyboards. And every time they do it, they would bring the whole company to watch the reels and we would all give them notes. So we literally all had a voice to say, well, how did this make this story work? What did this character do? How did this work? We would feed those notes back in and they'd take them. And they, for us, it was an aggregate. Like, if 100 people are saying this is not working, it's clearly not working, and they'd move it through. So, like, everybody from the people working in the kitchen had a chance to sit and watch and give feedback on the stuff that was happening. So, you know, as far as the story, it's like everybody had a hand in it. Everybody was invested in it. So, you know, to relate it to any organization, if everybody feels like they're invested in telling the story or the message or the mission, and you listen to them and they give it back, then the story's going to be better. Everything's going to end up being better for it. You, you still have to have a leader, right? You still have to have somebody or a group of people that are making a final decision, but you should be listening to everybody, right? So Yeah. And at the end of the day, what separates, like, a Disney from, like, uh, uh, a Six Flags or uh, whatever th- a local theme park, it really is the story. And that's what becomes indelible to people that makes memories and that, that what connects them. And even when we look at uh, other organizations like, you know, Walmart versus Target, Right, Target is actually very intentional about this kind of aloof story of you know, high value, low price, and uh, you know, you know, Target, uh, Target is just you know, killing Walmart. Walmart is just uh, the cheap, 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 and you know that only gets you so far. So, and even when you look at Starbucks, you know, Starbucks, the idea of that third place, that story is really what they hang their hat on. That's how they've been able to dominate so much. So, if we can encourage you guys at all t- uh, today, it really is this idea of just you know, embrace your failures, like you know, embrace. Criticism, figure out how to make yourself stronger, and then really embrace your story. So that that's kind of uh, that's the, the lessons that we've we've come to help. You know, <laughs> there are many more. The church. There yeah, are many yeah. more. So uh, so we have our goal was to kind of do that talk for thirty minutes, and we have about thirty more minutes. We can take questions, or we can let you guys out early. Totally uh, they Yeah. No. Uh, and, any questions for me or for Rich? Yep. I just like a point you talked about healthy conflict versus uh, not healthy work. What are some signifiers of an organization uh, to kind of healthy or unhealthy conflict? Yeah. Well, uh, you yeah, know, the whole thing is uh, perception is reality, but do people feel safe uh, in, in being vulnerable? That, that's probably the hardest thing. And uh, especially when we talk about the Enneagram on different things, because, yeah, I mean, as an eight, I feel incredibly safe, like, with really, you know, uh, you know conflict-driven people. But, you know, someone who, you know, is, like my wife at nine, I know I have to be a, a lot more ginger with her. And that's on me, of how you communicate to somebody. I think, too, when you're in charge of the organization or in charge of a group, setting the tone for it is okay to come with a problem. It is okay. Yeah. To, yes. And, and yeah. do it through leading by going, all right, I, did, I made a mistake here. I didn't do something right. This could have been better. I could have done these things. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Like You involve them in the process so they feel comfortable with that, and it's and you got to root out criticism for to strike versus criticism for making it better, and that's you know depending on who it is, especially when you talk about volunteers, you can't always pick the best when you've got people that are just coming in to help, right? So that guidance is harder, but but still, it's like you just weed out the. 
the spirit of the criticism and encourage it and then shut down. But you're going to be constantly explaining and teaching, you know, and saying, this is good and this is why. Okay. And, and again, leading by example is a real big deal. You know, we had, you know, our leadership was very clear. They'd get up on stage and talk about the mistakes they've made and we could give them feedback on stuff like that. And it was, it really did help. And it made you feel like this was just okay to do. Good question. Uh, so just speaking about creating a culture of creativity, especially from your Pixar experience, are there certain exercises or tools that you see employed that have really helped those times when you're brainstorming and coming up with new ideas or specific ideas that have really stuck with you? Man, I, I would love to have like some magic thing, like we did jumping jacks at 5 a.m. Yeah. Everybody's brain worked better. Um, Again, you know, I walked into an organization that already had a kind of a mission of excellence, right? And everybody was sort of like, this was the goal. We're going to make the best movies in the world. And so you sort of always wrapped your head and went into the problem that way. Um, I don't know if there was any, like, tool that we, we were given or something other than that was just sort of part of the, the mindset from the top down, right? This is Everybody was on board. Yeah. yeah. One of the tools, actually, that we use when we facilitate things is, uh, have you guys heard of the four helpful lists? before so uh, this is actually used in creative brainstorming stuff all the time but it's four basic questions and uh, and it kind of usually disarms people but the first one is kind of what's right so when you talk about a situation or something like that you, the first one is like kind of what was good about it you know especially when you're going to break something down you know don't throw the baby out with the bathwater but the first question is what's right the, the second question is pretty simple it's what's wrong you know so what were the things that were not good about it and, uh, you know, where it missed the mark or something like that. Um, the third question is, what was confusing? What was like, oh, we set it up this way, but it didn't quite execute on that. And then the fourth question that we'll pose then is, what was missing? So call it the four helpful lists, what's right, what's wrong, what's confusing, and what's missing. And the what's missing usually rounds out to, okay, these are the ways that we can make it better. These are the things that we can tighten it up and stuff like that. But, uh, and a lot of times, I like, like as a facilitator of meetings, we guide those, but we don't always say, hey, we're going to do the four helpful lists. These are the things. We just open up the, the agenda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what, was, what was awesome? What did everyone like about it? And then after that discussion kind of goes, I'll be honest with you, usually it just morphs right into what's wrong. And then people start you know, like, uh, complaining about it, whatever. And then to make it more uh, constructive, then we kind of shape it into the what was the confusing. And then we always round it off with, at the end of, okay, what's missing? What are the things that we can actually apply to move forward? Now, so, were you asking about, like, we've got, we're, we're going to sit in a room, be creative, and come up with some new idea? Well, yeah, in, in terms of just, yeah, as your I know some, you're usually coming in where the story's set and you're, you know, rigging and creating the characters, but just. You know what rigging is? You know what rigging is? That's rare. How many of you knows what rigging is? See? That's two out of this class. I'll explain it in a minute. But Yeah, that's right, that's right. But but you know, being creative, part of that is is guiding that creativity, right? If you're if, like you're gonna come up with a movie idea, let's say. Now I was never involved in the story thing, but you had a you had a director that would have a, an inkling of an idea what they wanted to create, and then they would hire a writer and they would work together to create that. And then they had a story team. So now they've got these general ideas and they sit in a room and they, you know, riff on what it could be and what it could be. It all boils down to that trust thing where people can throw ideas and rip things down and whatever. And then they'd go and they'd try it. And then everybody would come back and visit and see, did it work? But you still had to have sort of a vision. You always have to have somebody that's going to be the gatekeeper in that to say, okay, cool, right? Um, but it can't be like a dictatorship. It's got to be like, okay, you know, this is your vision, your thing. And in an organization where you might have multiple ideas, you'd have multiple leaders in that. Like, okay, you're going to run with this thing. We're going to work together to make this better. Yeah. Does that help with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's, I mean, you just sort of have to, 
go in it with a team mentality, I think, yeah. is the biggest part in that. Yeah. And we're really big on teams. That, that's the other thing. And uh, talking about, like, no dictators, that's uh, a lot of times even when we'll, we'll just designate someone as, rather than even saying you're leading this meeting, you're facilitating the meeting. And there would be a facilitator, and they're the ones who are making sure the notes, but they kind of guide the conversation as well. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> Any other questions? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean... As a lead pastor, so I'm I have a lot of creative ideas, but I just don't have a lot of skill set when it comes to that that area. How do you release the people on your team that are creative while still, you know, because sometimes creative people can go way yonder, and you don't want them to go way yonder. You have kind of a clear vision. So, how do you release those creative people and empower them to be creative while still like honing in where the direction that you want them to go? How's yeah. it? You probably have a better answer for that than I do. Yeah. So, honestly, it's a, it's really a leadership uh, kind of model. And I think, first off, it, it's awesome to be empowering other people. That is the kind of the goal of things. Um, and I think for us, actually going back to uh, the, the, the three lessons from today, first off is expect failure, especially when you're working with volunteers. Have realistic expectations. Um, I, when I was young, I, 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 there was a, uh, kind of a, a youth leader, and he was investing in like 10 young guys. And realistically, he knew two of them would, would pull it off. The other eight were going to drop the ball. So he had realistic expectations. But he still had this, his, his response was, at the end of the year, those two guys would be doing twice the amount of work that he could do. And after like five years, he had a group of like 12 solid guys. So just have realistic expectations. It's okay to fail. So don't, don't expect them to be like perfect on, on uh, day one. And then dovetails right into that, uh, that, that conflict, how you actually manage it. But then the best way to lead people is actually through story. I mean, you look at Di- Walt Disney, his ability to tell story. And I don't know if you guys ever heard stories about Disneyland, how the master plan of that came through. Do you guys know about that story? Disneyland was master planned over a weekend. They call it the lost weekend. And, but what kind of led up to that for the first three years, Walt would be running around uh, Disney Animation Studios and be just grabbing people and be telling them a story and getting them excited and passionate about it. But what's amazing is when you cast the vision with the story, and this goes back to Mark Murray's like that, is coming up with that vision statement and saying it over and over and over again. And it's hard as insiders, especially as church leaders, because you get bored with it after like a couple weeks and a sermon series, four or six weeks, you're bored with it. The reality is your members are coming once or twice a month and the, most of them see churches as schizophrenic because every time they show up, it's a different mission. It's a different whatever. It's a different thing, whatever. But the idea that you have long-term visions that you're casting it so people can actually kind of catch up to you is actually really important. But when you can cast that overall big picture, because the biggest problem we found with creative is uh, they're not seeing what the picture is. They're not seeing what the big picture is. So that's why they start filling in the gaps. So when you can reel them in, reeling them in with the big picture of that story and just, you know, exercise that muscle of storytelling. Yeah. How do you explain it to them better? And then you end up starting to partner with other creatives and different things. So I, I'm an okay drawler. Draw. <laughs> Draw. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay at certain things, but I partner up with guys who are a lot better than me at doing things. Um, and my job, my mission is to help, you know, we tell stories and we have visions of what yeah. these different things are that we're working on, how That's, they're going to come out. This is kind of a sequitur, but, um, is it a sequitur or a non-sequitur? I don't even know what that word is. It's like saying irregardless. It's not even a word. Um, that uh, always bring people on that are better than you are. Do not fear talent. The smarter, better, motivated people that you have around you, the better your organization and you will be. Be a leader of and take, take that. Don't ever lead from a position of fear. 
Mm-hmm. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your thing. I mean, mm-hmm. there are people that I mentored and, and helped get through that are now supervisors at studios that mm-hmm. I could go work for, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I help them reach their goal. And that's just going to pay back everything. So, you know. yeah. so I would encourage you to keep doing it. And, yeah, don't be afraid of failure. It'll happen. But, man, uh, yeah, your fruit will grow in other people's trees. And that's kind of the, the goal of things. And as you empower that, uh, that that's a was a Bob Buford quote, by the way. It wasn't mine. You know more quotes than me. Yeah. What part of the story of the gospel or of Christ do you think churches get wrong most often? Oh man, that's a that's good. a big question, dude. <laughs> oh my God, easy. Oh, yeah, that's right there. Yeah. Dude, grace, man, grace. Big time. I think that's the easiest for me. It's the idea that you know you get what you don't deserve, and so many churches are so, uh, especially in today's culture, there there's this dichotomy of uh, if there's an issue, we're gonna fight it, or we're gonna run away, mm-hmm. fight or flight, right? And Jesus was all about find, find a way to connect. The only people he fought with was religious people. And you know, he found a way to connect through grace. And I think, uh, how often are we giving each other grace? How often are we giving grace to ourselves? How often, uh, and, and I just, man, the church is so quick to put it in reverse after they've run someone over and run them over again and judge them and stuff. But I think one of the biggest things is just recognize like none of us are perfect. We're all, we're all in trouble. We all have problems. And, um, yeah, in this idea that something's going to just be perfectly smooth, and especially at the rate that we work and the scale that we're working on, uh, when we're working on large projects or small projects, like, um, the idea of grace is just lost in a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, group and, like, support staff, so I think. So I'm not a pastor by any means, but I'm, my biggest goal is to help move the vision of my pastor. Um, what is the best way to be that creative person that I know I'm going to go left? What is the best way for me to stay with the vision? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a constant, everyday self-reflection of, and what I am doing, is it pushing the ball and down the right path? And you're going to have to fight your instinct, because you're going to want to do this. And I totally get that feeling, you know, when you've got direction... You know, Prickle Pants' arm needs to curl from here to here, and I would love to do a fancy shoulder setup and rig, but that's not what they need to focus, get exactly what they're asking for. And then if I can plus it, I plus it. But I also have a deadline, and I've got to get moving. So when you'll always want to do more and want to help, and that enthusiasm is great, but make sure you're putting it into delivering toward the goal that's being set for you. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say, because you are the muscle of the church. I mean, at the end of the day, the church, you know, the lead pastor casts the vision, but the people who actually make it move are guys like you. Yeah. And, and really, you know, if, if you're finding that, you know, you don't have that direction or you can't see that vision, I would say get behind your senior pastor and just help push him and help him unpack that story and that vision and stuff so that you understand what the big picture is. But yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah. Thank you, man. You're awesome. Yeah. You are. Yeah. All right, next question. Do you have a question here? Yes. Hi, I just, uh, you guys have already given us some great resources, but I just wondered, do you have any materials or resources you would give for people who want to start implementing creativity in a culture that was already existent before? Any, like, books or podcasts or anything like that that you recommend? That's hard. Yeah, you know, my so you're basically in a, you're in an organization that does not have that focus now? Um, I would say that it was like, so 
I, I run a thrift store that's like a business mission. Okay. And it's been incredible from the beginning, but um, it was one of my dreams to really implement a lot of creativity and start letting my staff and my volunteers have a lot more say in what we do there. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. he probably knows more about the books that you would read. After he does that, then I can give you my advice. Yeah. But. So I, I read the books. He knows the people. So actually, when I, <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about. It's, uh, Ed Catmull, one of the founders of Pixar, uh, is actually wrote a book called Creativity, Inc. I would definitely recommend that. And he actually talks about Disney. And I think Disney is a great case story because you look at Walt Disney. When he started the Walt Disney Company, how do you guys? I don't know if you guys want the history of Walt Disney a little bit. His first commercially successful character was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Universal kind of hoodwinked him and stole it. He came to LA in 1923 and kind of came up with this idea of Mickey Mouse, and uh, and he leveraged technology to leapfrog competition. And when Mickey Mouse came out, the very first cartoon was Steamboat Willie, and the significance of that. How many of you guys have seen that yet? It was the very first cart- animated cartoon with synchronized audio. Yeah. Before then, it was all the day of the silent pictures, whatever. They had live orchestras doing everything. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you had this guy whistling behind it, which was Walt Disney. And then he continues to use technology to kind of leapfrog things. And what happened after he died was his vision, in a lot of ways, everyone just kind of froze. And everyone was just like, okay, just repeat what the master was doing. And just kind of got on this assembly line. And to the point of, in the 90s, they laid off John Lasseter. And he was actually, when he was laid off, he was actually told, you don't fit the culture of Disney. And I don't know if you guys know John Lasseter. He's basically responsible for Pixar and the whole renaissance of, of Disney animation. Uh, and But uh, Ed Catmull actually talks about that in Creativity Inc. and what they did. So things like, you know, like uh, the, the um, I'm trying to think if he actually mentioned the uh, Frothless in, the, in that uh, notes day. Um, extra day. Oh. So there's a, I went through oh, yeah. notes day. I yeah. the- <laughs> he actually lived notes. He lived all this stuff. But it's the same I, idea of like book, looking so. at it. But yeah. to get into like having, how are you going to implement change? I think trust is a big part in there. Like, does, does is everybody on board with your vision of that? You need, you literally need to put your sales hat on mm-hmm. and go, would you like to have a more creative culture? Would you like to have more creative freedom? And, you know, it, you basically, you're selling this idea of, okay, cool. What makes our organization great now? Look at the tenets of what it is. What are, what are the, the stakes in the sand? And they go, okay, now we want to protect those things while moving and changing. Um, so you just, you, you've got to sell it to your people. Yeah. You know, you've got to let them know that this is your vision you'd like. And do you, do you share this vision? What do you think? And get them on board. And then everybody's work again, everybody's working together for a common goal. Yeah. I love the fact that you identify creativity as being holistic to your business though. Because really that's a key thing. Creativity is not just what happens before the pastor gets up. Uh, on, on the Sunday morning in the worship band. It's holistic to the whole experience. It doesn't have a start and stop. It, it's completely yeah. opposite. Two other books I would recommend from the same author, Patrick Lencioni, um, it has a book called The Advantage. And um, was it? And that, yeah, that he writes in like a, how many of you guys are familiar with Patrick Lencioni? He writes these like kind of business fables. It's a, it really easy reads. And the second one's not a marriage counseling book, but it's called Getting Naked. But, <laughs> uh, but actually, but it just talks about kind of more being vulnerable inside. It takes the approach of a, a small agency that actually is very reflective of our firm. That we don't come to things with all the answers, but we come to listen and try to understand, then you unpack the story from there. But yeah, those are a couple of great really reads. Helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, the difference between like compelling story? I think you can have similar story with similar framework and maybe one delivers and one doesn't. What would you say stand out as the differences between really compelling, engaging stories? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's the human factor, right? 
people <laughs> don't really care about spaceships and giant lizards and whatever, but they care about the people that are being chased by them or flying in them, right? So it's it's making sure that whatever story you're trying to tell is connecting to the human factor. Yeah. People matter. Yeah. I mean, that's very very biblical, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's that making sure that whatever you're trying to do is connecting or dealing with that human connection. Yeah. And the idea when you, uh, like, what is the human factor? I think it's, that, was it every one of us in this room, 98% of our DNA is unique and identical? It just takes 2% to make us unique and different. And when we look at the human factor, it really is this idea of getting uh, great stories, usually we say have layers to a story. So that's why people get, like, tied in. Again, talking about that sports star, you find out about his childhood, then you find out about his parents abandoned him, and that the layers to the story is that detail of the human element that a lot of times we just want to be really superficial. But yeah, what separates you know all the DreamWorks films that have flopped compared to the Pixar films? It's this human element that they bring in and that lay, the layers to the story. That's what made Jesus' stories great. When you look at it, it's not just a superficial parable. Yeah. You realize that, oh, wait a second. The time of day at Jacob's well, there's like so much significance in that. It's the layers to it. And it's just taking the time to tell that story and understand it. Uh, this is a, a leadership question for both of you guys. I wanted to ask, what were some of the traits and uh, some of the examples that your leaders um, kind of expressed to you guys for you guys to um, create the content that you guys need to make? Um, what were some of, like, you know, creating that environment? Like, what were some, like, small uh, things that they've done to, you know, that really stood out to you? I think we've addressed some of those, but, to, you know, trust is a big deal. Knowing that I'm going to trust that the input I'm getting is to make me better and that they, that I can also reply with honest feedback about whatever's happening. That's a big deal, I think, in, in you know, a good leader. Um, criti- again, the criticism angle, be- knowing that you're going to get, you're going to get input and you don't take that personally, you know, yeah. that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, good. Your, your best idea. Your best idea. That the best idea wins. You oh, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says right. this all the time. He Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like one of the most humble guys, but he always, it doesn't matter. Best idea wins. That, yeah, yeah. You need, you need to embrace, and that's something from a leader's point of view. It's like, it doesn't matter where it comes from. If it is the best idea, it needs to win. Yeah. And that, that you need to put your ego away and the best <laughs> idea wins. That's, that's hard, though. It's not always easy for people. But it's, you make it look easy. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love it. gets to work with him. Yes. That's a tough one, right? Yeah. Actually, I would say you're hitting on something that is uh, that is one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with today. Is uh, like my five year old son actually has developmental delays. Yet when he started kindergarten, like I barely knew my colors in the alphabet, and my kid could edit videos on an iPad with special effects. I mean, in a lot of regards, he was so much more uh, sophisticated than I was. And my teenagers, they're dealing in a world with these, uh, you know, Instagram uh, influencers saying all this stuff, whatever. But again, when we talk about humanity, it's only surface level. It appears that they have this sophistication, but they really don't. They really don't understand the implications of things. Uh, so when we even talk about, and yeah, this is probably not appropriate. My wife says I always go in appropriate places, but I'll go. Over. But when we talk, I like about, how you basically said so this is recorded. You can say, yeah. I see you, but... Oh man, this is like they hit Scott, right? But when we talk about sex, 
uh, it's been so objectified and uh, the addictions to pornography and all these things when one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is intimacy. But in order to have intimacy, you have to have a deeper understanding of safety. So even with me and my wife, I'm probably sharing way too much about this. Honestly, our marriage literally Jen, I told him to stop. I know. (laughs) I told him to stop. But she would agree. Our marriage got a lot better after the first 10 years. And a lot of it was her being able to be vulnerable and more open with me when I understood her. So how do I translate that to my 19-year-old daughter who has been exposed to more than I really even care about. And it's really sad because they think they got all the answers by YouTubing it really quickly. And they really don't. And so us having the patience to come alongside them and understand that they just have a superficial understanding and knowledge of the stuff, but to really have deep friendships, deep relationships. Um, last week, I think you guys, Paul, I guys heard about uh, Jared Wilson who committed suicide. You know, that's, that was a hard one. He grew up at my church. Uh, he actually, uh, I mean, it was just right here. He was actually um, planted a church with about six people in our studio. He was going through, and he's very open about it, about exploring different o- opportunities. He was interviewing at our studio. He had a final interview on Friday, actually. So that hit us, and what was even harder, he's going through this interview process that we fully copied from Pixar. Uh, you know, and he's meeting with these guys. He's meeting with them, telling about his life goals. He's anthem of all these things. They're getting to know, and they had no idea what was going on underneath. They had no clue. So then same thing with my son this week. He has a friend that posted, give me a reason why I shouldn't kill myself. And he's dealing with these issues. And, you know, it just was a moment we had to sit down. We had to try and get underneath it. And then we find out uh, a part of it. But I would say the biggest thing today with the youth is that we're running at such a high pace. We give these blanket answers that we think are vanilla enough. Right. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going to use the analogy. In, in, in our studio, we use the analogy of food a lot because I like food. I probably eat too much. I'm always like, if any of you guys want to ever go to dinner, let me know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll hang out. Uh, and you look at how Jesus did ministry, how many times they ate. And people, like, lay down their armor to eat, right? And, and really, it's the best way to do ministry, I think, is uh, having a bite to eat with somebody. But in, in taking us a few steps back, when we look at these kids and what they're used to, they've been risen in a culture that it's a drive-through. It's you just wow. go through and eat on the road. You do all this stuff, whatever. Sitting down at the dining table and breaking bread, you know, giving the Lord thanks, bringing the the bread of eternal life to the table. That's just something that's totally foreign to a lot of these kids. But I would encourage you to get deeper into the story with them and make sure that just because they give you an answer, just because they do these things and we think, oh, man, they're, they're so sophisticated. Yeah, they're exposed they really to a bunch aren't. of stuff. They'll yeah. kick back a lot of yeah. intelligent words, but yeah. they don't understand it. You guys, you yeah. see Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. You know, when, when Robin Williams is like, yeah, you can give me, you know, all this stuff about art, but have you ever smelled the inside of the Sistine Chapel? No. Right? Like, that's, you, you're going to have kids that are going to know the answers to a lot of different things, but... You really need to engage them and push past that and, and, and dig in. Yeah, actually, that that I, I talked earlier about the Renaissance. One of my favorite interviews, actually, with Steve Jobs after the iPhone launch. I don't know if you ever saw this interview, but he's I was there, there. MacWorld, by the way. Oh, dude, I actually saw it spinning in the glass for the first dude, one. That, it's awesome. <laughs> so he's being interviewed, and the interviewer comes in. How many do you want on time? Am I okay? Uh, I think we'll have time for one more question after this quick story. But basically, the interviewer asked Steve Jobs, like, "How does it feel to be on this Renaissance of technology?" You know, and that here, this iPhone is amazing. And Steve Jobs just goes like, don't even ask. Like, first off, I wouldn't even use that word. When you talk about the Renaissance, you talk about the greatest period of creativity that mankind has ever known. I go to the Sistine Chapel today, and I stand in awe 
hundreds of years later. Yeah. And he holds up the iPhone. He's all, this phone won't be worth the dirt under my feet in five years. And the interviewer like, well, this is a young guy. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be worth. And sure enough, five years later, the iPhone wasn't worth anything. And, and the reality is we have such a gift in depth of knowledge and stuff. But yeah, everyone uses these words like, you know, awesome, relevant, all these things, whatever. And we really don't know what it means to get under that story. But Steve Jobs really did. And if you guys, how many of you guys have ever been to Sistine Chapel? If you guys ever get a chance to go to Italy, I mean, it's visceral. I mean, yeah, you, or if you go to uh, Milan in Academy, David, I don't know if you guys know how, uh, was it, uh, Michelangelo sculpted, but they, they actually have a series of sculptures called um, the captives. And uh, basically, he sculpted, like, if you look at a block, most sculptors will start with, like, a rough shape, and they, they kind of get it closer and closer until it kind of comes to form. The way he would work in a block, he would just start from the face and working his way back. So he would start sculpting on a rock, and the first thing you would see is, like, the tip of the finger. Wow. And then it would come down, and then the knee would yeah, come out. Wow. It was really, I mean, the guy was just a genius nope, on how no he was way. able to do I things. I could never do that. I mean, it, it, to, to be able to do that, to do that hundreds of years ago is just mind-blowing. But it really humbles you into realizing even everything we're doing today is just yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming art conference, visit artconference.com.